Hey, church. Uh, like I prayed and there are some things that I know are heavy on many people's heart. Uh, one thing I want to celebrate is what God was doing with our kids here this weekend. If you're a student and you were at Grace or an adult and you were serving at Grace, who was here yesterday as part of our fall camp? Let's give it up for all of our kids that were... Here yesterday, we had a phenomenal time as uh, 100 teenagers came together at our church to spend the weekend just seeking God. So thank you. Uh, I see Pastor Eddie's eyes fading in and out. He was here all weekend. Uh, it, was, it was an awesome time uh, for our students to just get closer to God and get closer to one another. So we're celebrating that. And one other thing that's really cool that I want to celebrate too is... Uh, our community groups uh, have kicked off. So let's uh, celebrate that as well. This last week, community kicks off. And uh, just trying to, based on the numbers, we've got about, get this, 80% of you all are in a community group for this fall, which is awesome. So uh, thank you for taking that step of faith to get plugged in with others. Uh, it's exciting what's going to happen this, this semester as everybody uh, spends time together studying God's Word in those groups. And if you're not in one, uh, you can still come see somebody today and get in a group. It's going to be a great experience meeting together as individuals and families. Well, this morning we're in the book of Colossians. And uh, you guys can turn with me there. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 9. And as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of context as to what we're studying this morning and, and, and this book of Colossians. And so this morning we're going to see, uh, starting in verse 9 in Colossians, Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers in light of what Epaphras had shared about them. And in this prayer that we're going to see, what Paul's praying for these believers, we're going to get to see the heart of Paul. I love to see uh, people's hearts. I think sometimes we keep our hearts guarded, uh, rightly so in this world. And Paul is going to open up his heart and show what's in his heart for this group of young Christians. And his heart, he's going to be praying for this church in Colossae that they would have the full knowledge of God's will. That they would have a full uh, understanding of what's true, of what God says is true. And that they would, in response, live a life of trusting him, obeying Christ with gratitude for everything that God had done for them through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul wants these young Christians to have a full life. And this entire book, we're going to see, uh, as you guys are opening up there, and I encourage you to, to highlight it and mark it. I, I was underlining uh, throughout the week as I was studying, and it's great to underline things as we go today right in your Bible. Uh, but what we're going to see is this whole book is going to show us the sufficiency of Christ in all things and how to have a full life, how to be complete in life through Christ. And now since we're talking about this, since that's what Paul's writing this letter about, how to have a full life, how to see the sufficiency of Christ for all things, my question for you today is that. Here's my question. What's your vision of a full life? Or assuming that every one of us wants to live a full life, maybe put more simply, What's your vision for your life? What are the things that capture your time, that capture your attention, that capture your energy? What is your vision, the things that you want to realize? All of us want to achieve certain things in life. All of us want our relationships in life to be marked by certain characteristics. 
when you're dreaming, when you're thinking, when you're watching a good movie, what is the vision that's on your heart for your life? Well, this morning, as we see Paul's prayers, we see Paul's letter, we're going to see four portraits, four pictures into what a full life looks like. And so uh, let's dig in. I want to invite you guys to follow along with me. I'll have the verses uh, behind me as well. And uh, so we're going to start here in Colossians 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word to us this morning. And so I want to start here in verse 9, uh, where he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Uh, what is it that Paul heard? Well, Paul heard, last week we saw in verse 4, Paul heard that these young Christians had faith in Christ. They had trust in Christ and they had love for believers. And hearing upon their faith, their trust in Christ, and their love for one another, it was in God's, it was in Paul's heart from God to pray for these young Christians. And, and I think that's what's a, a neat little picture we begin to see of Paul is, you know, where does prayer come from? Prayer is something, yes, it's talking with God, but prayer comes from understanding his word and also comes from the things that God places in our heart. And God had placed in Paul's heart genuine love for these Christians. Uh, think of people in your life that you want to be doing well, you want to see thriving, succeeding. You know, we have the opportunity as Christians, just like Paul, to talk to the maker of everything, to talk to the one who has all power to do anything and to lift up those we love in prayer. And that's exactly what Paul did. He prayed for these believers. And so, you know, one small question we see at the beginning of this, I think we can ask ourselves is, you know, who are we praying for right now like Paul? So many things distract us and there's probably nothing more powerful than we can do than by taking time before our Heavenly Father to pray for others, to pray for those that we love. Who is it that God wants you to be praying for right now? Who are people that God brings to your heart? And, you know, I don't think that Paul was praying in a, you know, simply uh, a, you know, crisis mode type of way. He was intentionally, consistently lifting them up because they were on his mind, on his heart. And, you know, I don't think one of the things that we can do sometimes that helps us with that is to designate times in our day when we pray. Meal times or times in the morning or times in the evening where we're not going to be distracted and we're going to have a few moments with God. And one of the things that's been helpful for me is once a month, Sometimes I do it as much as once a week, but at least once a month to take a few moments in one of those prayer times and just write down some of the people that you want to be praying for that month and write down some of the things that are on your heart to pray for them. 
We know what's good according to God's word. We're going to see that in a minute. But only you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have discernment into what's happening in your spouse's life, into your kid's life, into your coworker's life. And when we intentionally reflect and come before God like Paul did and specifically name things, uh, we're listening to God and we're joining him in what he's doing and we're delighting in his will by praying. And so I think that's one takeaway we have from Paul. But let's continue here. He says, I have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What was Paul's prayer? His prayer was that they would have knowledge and understanding of God's will. And that understanding of what's true, of who God is and what he wants, would lead them to holiness. His prayer was that these young Christians would understand what is good above everything else. There would be no distractions, no deceptions. They would see what is true, what is good. And so, you know, it's interesting that, you know, this knowledge of God's will, it's so much more, walking in a, in a worthy manner of God is so much more than our behavior. It's really an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done and, and really an understanding of God himself. His desire wasn't simply for their behavior to be a certain way, but for their relationship with God to be a certain way. And as we understand God's word, as we understand who he is, which is what his prayer was, it fuels holiness in our life. We can do what's right when we know God's word and we know what's right. And what's interesting is as we discover what's right in God's word and we do what's right in God's word and we become more holy, we become more like God, we walk away from the darkness and we walk into the light through the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually begin to see even more clearly what's, what's good. Uh, it, it's something that, that continues to play itself out because the more that we walk with God, the more that we're removed from the darkness and now we can see things more clearly and see who God is, and that's what he, God wants for us, closeness and understanding of himself. As I was reading this passage and studying it this week, what, the word that really came to my mind in these portraits we're going to see in a minute is, is character. Paul was praying for character for these Christians. I, I, I wrote down some words that, that I thought of. I mean, he was praying, yes, that they saw God himself, but he was praying that they, he saw their purpose that they saw their identity in Christ, their significance, that, that they would be people that were obedient, that they had discipline, that they had inner peace, that they had discernment, honesty, purity, integrity. Let's think about that for a minute, church. I mean, is that not what we want to see in the world? I remember, uh, you know, thinking of our teenagers in this weekend they had, one of the topics that I spent a lot of time preaching on when I was a youth pastor was dating. Because it's something that, you know, every young person is thinking about a lot. Some of you guys are thinking about it now too. But some of you guys have uh, settled down already. You've picked the one. Hope you chose wisely because you're, you're stuck sitting next to them today, right? But, you know, when you talk about dating, when you talk about when you're not married yet, one of the most important things you see in the Song of Solomon is to look into somebody's character. It's amazing how, 
you know, people will get married and then be shocked that somebody's doing something. It's like, no, all the signs were there before you got married, right? You were just googly-eyed and you didn't mind looking over all those things because you thought they were so cute or they were so nice to you. But there's no perfect person this side of eternity. And, and that was one of the things I used to preach to the youth all the time is try to be friends with this person. Don't just dive right into a romantic relationship. See their character. You know, I think as parents, flipping it around, I mean, what do we want more than anything else for our kids? For them to make good choices, to have, to have wisdom, to have character, to not be deceived by bad decisions. That's what Paul was wanting. He was wanting this group of Christians to have character. And how do we get it? We get it through beliefs, through doctrine. He was saying that, hey, doctrine is important. What you know about God is what's going to give you character. You're not going to get any character without reading this book because you need to know what God says. But then it's more than just reading it. It's, it's asking God to help you live it out. See, we won't live a life that pleases Christ if we do not know him, if we do not know his word and understand him. We need to know Christ in order to live a life worthy of him. We need to know Christ in order to live a life that pleases him. And as we come to know him more and what he's done for us, our lives reflect his worth. People see his character in us because we become more like him. We treasure his goodness. We know what's good and we walk in that goodness. We know that the things that are right are the things that we want and the things that are not right are hurtful to us. They're hurtful to others. And we ask God to help us walk away from those things and walk into the light and our lives reflect that he is our treasure, that he is what is our worth. So the question I want to ask you this morning, church, is if we have a clear understanding that God is our treasure, that there's nothing greater than the gospel, which we're going to get into more next week. What Paul's going to unpack and, and the questions he's going to answer is, what does it look like to live this life that's worthy of Christ? If he really is our treasure, what is a portrait, what is an image into living a life that resembles what it looks like to please Christ. What does it look like to hit the mark, to have a life that you can say, that person resembles God, that person is a Christ follower. We're gonna see four things. We're gonna see that a life like that is a life that is one where there's fruitfulness, where there's persistent learning of God where there's patience and endurance and where there's thankfulness, worship. We're going to see those portraits in the verses ahead. So let's go to the next verse here, uh, verse 10. He wants us to live a life pleasing to him by, first of all, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the first one. And second, increasing in the knowledge of God. So the first thing that resembles Christ, that is a characteristic of somebody following after Christ, pleasing Christ, is that our lives are fruitful. Not just in our behavior or our actions, but even in our, in our heart, uh, in, 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 in what comes from the inside and the outside. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Galatians 5, uh, where it talks about the fruits of the spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And we're called as Christians to bear these attitudes and work them out as actions in our life in every area of our life. Things that come from the heart, love, but that also manifests itself in action. So let me give you an example, right? Like you can do the dishes in love in your house. You can do the dishes where you say, uh, I can see that there's some help that's needed and I want to serve my family. So I'm just going to jump in here and I'm just going to start doing the dishes. And you may not want to do the dishes, right? But you know that they need to be done and you're like, I'm just going to serve and I'm going to, okay, Lord. Or you can be like, I am always doing everything. I am always, you know, I, I change the toilet paper. I do this. I do that. And you're like, oh, I'll just do it. I'm just going to do the dishes again. I'm just like, you can do it out of spite to like show how much you do. Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> or we can do it out of love. There's a difference, right? And, and Paul's calling us to do these things out of the right attitude but our actions would follow as well. Uh, fruitfulness that he's talking about is like a tree. It's not like, uh, like a tomato bush that like grows a bunch of tomatoes for you and just dies. He wants us to be like a tree that's fruitful. I was thinking about, um, when I was thinking about this passage, what came to my mind was last year we bought a kumquat tree. Has anyone heard of kumquats, a little weird fruit? They're, they're like an organic Sour Patch Kid, okay? Like a little inverted though, because they're, they're, like, they're like the size of a grape, but they look like an orange, but the sweetness is on the outside and the sour is on the inside, okay? So they're really weird. My neighbors couldn't pronounce kumquat, and I've got these boys that live next to me on both sides, so they would just call them lemons. They're like, they're like, Tim, you got any of those lemons? Can you give me some of those lemons? But last year we bought this little kumquat tree, and I, we were getting into gardening. We bought lots of trees, but this tree, it produced fruit three times last year. It just kept fruiting and fruiting and fruiting, and, and everybody wanted some of these kumquats, and so I would just grab them and pass them out. And my son, from the time he was one, knew what a kumquat was, and he would come grab it and eat it. He knew it was good to eat. And, um, and everybody was just so uh, full of enthusiasm that we could just eat this fruit, right? And that's what a believer's life is supposed to look like, not just like fruiting once and then dying, but constantly producing that right attitude and the right actions, that's what it looks like to be fruitful. I heard an amazing quote this week that was too good not to share with this. The grass is always greener where God waters and where we water. So if we're trees that are growing, where are we watering right now, church? And where are we asking God to water in our lives? Are we asking him to water us so that we can constantly be watering and blessing other people in our life? Are we watering in our family? Are we watering in our workplace? We're meant to be fruitful in all ways in our life and our actions that are pleasing to God. And then the second thing that he points out here is that we're supposed to not only be fruitful, but increase in our knowledge of God. And increasing in God's knowledge is, is, is getting to know this book, and it's a lifelong journey of learning little by little about who God is is and, and what he says. And so in these first two, the questions I want to ask us are, right now, church, are you bearing fruit in every good work? Are you as fruitful as you would like to be? And the second question I want to ask is, are you studying Scripture and seeking Christ? And if you're not studying Scripture in the way that you'd like to be, how can you do that this week? All right, let's continue. Verse 11 he points out the third portrait, and he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience 
with joy. Endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an impossible situation. Have you ever felt that something's impossible? Well, God wants us to have endurance for those impossible situations at home, at work, in every area of our life. And patience is what those same things show to a seemingly impossible person. Anyone have any of those in your life? All right. So a portrait of a, of a Christian is one that actually has endurance for hard situations. Anyone going through those? And patience for difficult people. And you see, there's a kind of endurance and patience that endures but does not enjoy. Back to the whole dishes example, right? Like you can endure and be patient. You're just like, I'm just going to be patient. I'm just going to endure. But there is no joy on your face. There is no pleasure in the situation. Why? Because our eyes are so fixed on the problem and not on the provider, not on Christ. And what Paul was praying for them is that they would have joy as they endured, as they were patient. Another one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is, is the opening chapter of James, where James says that he wants us to have joy as we face trials because that joy produces perseverance and that perseverance is gonna make us complete. Get this church. Here's what Paul's talking about. Completeness, wholeness is being able to go through suffering, being able to go through difficult things and to have patience, to have joy, to have endurance as we go through it, to realize that what we're experiencing right now is not the end of the story, that the one that we've placed our hope in is faithful to bring all things. And that one day he's coming back for us. I was, uh, I told my wife um, this week, I, was just, I don't know, I was reflecting and I, and I turned over to her and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty emotional. I'm a pretty emotional person. And she looked at me and she's like, are you just remembering this or... Or what? And I was like, I guess so. I guess I, guess I forgot. I'm just like, I, I was noticing this last week how many times my emotions wanted to sabotage me. I don't know if any of you all are out there, but sometimes my emotions just wanted to sabotage me when I just needed to be persistent and patient and press on. There's so many things that can throw us off from being fruitful, from growing in God's word, from having endurance, from having patience. You know, for me, that might be one thing. But there's so many things. It's a broken world that we live in, church. Sometimes we lean too much to relationships outside of Christ and we get distracted. Sometimes we lean too much to television and we get distracted. Sometimes we're coping with food or drink. And we're not fully alive the way that Paul wants us to be. And he's saying, don't, don't turn to anything else. If you're emotional, whatever you are, turn to me and I will give you patience. I will give you endurance. Do we have that patience? Do we have that endurance, church? And here's the fourth, fourth aspect of a portrait of what it looks like to be somebody mature in Christ. He says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, God's people are to thank God that we are his people, that we have an inheritance, that we've been delivered from sin, that we've been redeemed through Christ. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us that we have an imperishable inheritance in heaven. 
that we've received this inheritance now, that the moment that we believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the moment that we saw that we were sinners in need of God's grace, we received it. But we haven't received all of it, not yet. One day God's coming to fully establish that kingdom, which Revelation tells us there's not going to be any brokenness anymore. No more suffering, no more death. And he wants us to turn to him now, the only one that can give us life. I, I found as a father, and now a father of two boys, I'm becoming increasingly more pragmatic in my life. Uh, it's about getting through the day, getting through the day well, having good, you know, everything go well at home. And I'm thinking about how I want to provide for my kids and teach them and hope them to get a good education if they want that one day. And just help them experience the best that life has to offer so they can be all that God wants them to be. And as I've become so more pragmatic, you know, there's a temptation in trying to experience the best of this earth that we forget the why and the who. You know, one of the ways that we're trying to raise our boys to know Christ is to pray, and we pray before meals. And, you know, initially, when my son was really young, we were teaching him even to try to do this spiritually. And he would, he would pray, and he would start praying for his friends. And in his little two-year-old heart, his, this is how his prayer has evolved now. He just says, every, every morning we sit down, that's the meal I think of the most, but for all our meals, especially breakfast, we sit down, he sits down at his little table. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. That's the prayer because he can't wait to dig in to that food. And this morning we stopped and we we're like, you know, Papi's going to preach today, right? And he's like, and Papi preach, amen. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it there, right? I'm just glad that he's thanking God for his food. But the goal is not that we would stay in this place of simplicity, but that we would grow more and more deeply in love with God in all things. And we're not looking to experience heaven on earth. We're looking to know the God of heaven and to share that hope with everybody. And so we're not looking to just experience everything perfect here and now, but to give thanks to God for who he is and focus everything through him. And so I wanna ask you church this morning, is that how we're living? Are we thankful? Are you thankful for God right now? And in all things that you're doing, are we living in every action to point to Christ, to share Christ, or are we just experiencing the now? Because Paul was saying, hey, he wants us to be able to be grateful for Christ and to do everything for Christ. Here's the last verse that he wraps this passage up with. He says, he, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Eddie's going to get a lot more into this next week, but he's beginning to explain the why, the why of how we should live this way. Because of Christ, because of what he's done for us. This statement is describing what was happening in those believers. They were being transferred from the darkness into the light. And why was it necessary? Putting on the new self and letting go of the old self. You see, every single one of us is unfit to receive the blessing and the promises of God. And yet, if we will simply place our faith in Jesus Christ, God promises us to deliver us from Satan's domain and to take us over into God's dominion. And he promises that that begins now and it will be completed in the end when he comes back. And so what I want to ask you, church, in light of this is, 
do you feel like enough today? As you try to live these things out, do you feel like enough? And the truth is, apart from Christ, none of us were meant to feel like enough. But through Christ, we're seen, we're redeemed, we're transformed. We've been transferred from one kingdom to another. So we can feel and live adequately because our identity and our hope is in Christ. So four, per- four portraits, church. Our vision for our life should be bearing fruit, being fruitful, growing in the knowledge of God, to be enduring and patient in all things, and to be thankful in all things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. You've given us this portrait of how to live a life that brings you glory and honor. And we pray today, God, that as we go out, that you would give us all that we need to live this way. You would lift us up, that you would encourage us, and that you would be our hope and our treasure in all things this week, that we would bear fruit in thankfulness, in patience and endurance, seeking you. We pray this in your name and everyone at Grace said, amen Amen and amen. Thank you, church.